Hey, I'm Dr. Rob. Welcome to Biblical Genetics. I'm coming today from the campus of Georgia Tech, the Georgia Institute of Technology, my alma mater, where I studied biology. Strange to study biology at an engineering school, but I was trained to think as an engineer in the biological sciences, and that actually affected my approach to this whole creation evolution debate, because I'm generally not satisfied with biologists who kind of say, oh, that's just the way it works. Like what, natural selection and mutations? Like, no, I want to actually know how it works. What is the mechanism? What is the rate? What is the probability? I'm thinking much like an engineer in its approach to these things. And so I tend to think a little differently than most biologists do because of the influence of this wonderful institution. I have so many fond memories of this place. In fact, I just ran into someone that I knew. I was walking through the student center after parking. I'd spoken here at a campus ministry about, I don't know, three years ago, maybe. And this guy instantly knew who I was. And I kind of remembered who he was, a little bit of introduction. Oh yeah, you're that guy. We talk a bit, there's a student there. We got to encourage each other. You know, there is exciting spiritual work happening at even the most technological universities in the world. Christianity still has a foothold here on this very secular campus. And there are a lot of people being encouraged in the word of God through science and through technology. Because technology actually is one of those things that argues strongly against Darwinism. You look at the cell and the complexity of the cell and you say, wow, um, this could not have evolved very easily. In fact, all the probability tells us it's not going to evolve. But that's another story for another day. Now I want to ask forgiveness for the road noise and for the sirens and things because this is in the middle of a city and this is a busy road. In fact, there's a major road right there, North Avenue, which is why this is called the North Avenue Trade School. And looking up, I can see the international headquarters of Coca-Cola looming out over the campus. Just a fun place, amazing place. Amazing technology developed here, and part of that technology actually is genetic technology. They've done some really cool stuff here. Well, when I was a student, we were a very small group. I mean, I, I studied biology at an engineering university, which was great for me because I got a different way to think. Biologists don't tend to think like engineers. I think like an engineer because I was trained here. The field of ancient DNA is really controversial in my ranks. A lot of creationists have steered away from this, really shied away from the whole subject. They're afraid that there's contamination. They're afraid that there's too much error in the data. So when you pull DNA out of some ancient organism, you actually can't know what the sequence is. But what if you can? What if technological progress has advanced to the point where we can control for contamination and we can control for the high error rate in the data? Because it guaranteed the data has full of errors. DNA in the ground decays. It degrades. And so when you try to sequence the DNA, you get a lot of mistakes. That's Baked into the pie, you can't avoid it. But that doesn't mean that we had to throw out all the data because we can see things. When you sequence a Neanderthal, it's not a modern human. It's not contaminated with modern human DNA. It's Neanderthal. And now that we've done many, many, many Neanderthals, not just one or two, but I don't know, 50, 20, is a huge number of Neanderthals that we've sequenced, we keep getting the same answer. So instead of just throwing it away, no, I want to embrace it. I want to say, here is ancient DNA, the technology and all the information we're getting. And I want to see if I can roll that into a biblical understanding of history. And I think we can do it. And I think we do it pretty easily, actually. So it's not time to throw it out. It's time to say, no, this is something that's telling us about early human history. In fact, it's telling us about the most important parts of early human history. That is the parts that weren't written down. If you're talking about Noah's flood and the spreading out of people after Babel, in most places of the world, there's, what, 500, 1,000 years before anyone starts actually writing history down? So the most important parts of our history are in the dark. They're, they're, they're hidden from us. We can't know. And yet, when you dig up a skeleton, let's say, the Ukraine, 
and you sequence the DNA of this ancient person, you can tell who that person's related to. You can tell where his ancestry came from. You can see population migrations across the world once you have enough ancient individuals in a database. And it's not like we only have one or two. We literally have thousands of ancient individuals now. Full genome sequence, full Y chromosomes, or enough of the Y chromosome to know what group he belongs to, mitochondrial data. There's so much that we're swimming in ancient DNA data right now. And we're able to see amazing things in our history. But the first thing the Christian's going to do is they're going to look at Genesis 11, at the table of nations. And they're going to say, hey, does this match up with what we're seeing in the ancient DNA? And I want to caution you right there. Be very careful because the table of nations is a one-off thing. It's something that was written at some point in time. And we don't necessarily know when it was written. I did a whole video on this called Ancient History versus the Table of Nations. I released that in May of 2020. You can find that on biblicalgenetics.com or on YouTube if you like, or on my podcast if you like. It's just a, a walking through the Table of Nations to say that, hey guys, this is not what most people think it is. If it was written right after the Tower of Babel, then over the next thousands of years, a lot, of, a lot has changed. There's been migrations, there's been wars, there's been populations that went extinct. So just because the Table of Nations says these people lived at some place in the past, it doesn't mean that we expect the people living there now to be related to them. But what if the Table of Nations is written later? Let's say when the Israelites were in Egypt or after they invaded Canaan. Well, then it's just a snapshot, an ethnology, if you would, of the people that someone in ancient Israel knew about. So it only goes as far west as Crete. It doesn't even get to Italy. It only goes as far west in Africa as Libya, and as far south as the Sudan, northern Sudan even. We don't get to sub-Saharan Africa. It doesn't talk about the people of Russia, uh, the people in India, the people of China. So maybe it is a snapshot at that time of only those people, not the other people in the world. You gotta be really careful. But ancient DNA is informing us about the table of nations. Oh yes, it is. It is saying quite clearly the biblical story. There's only one Y chromosome. There's only one mitochondrial genome in the world. That is still true. It, it is telling us that there were mass migrations of people in fact, a lot of them coming from the Middle East itself. Europe was settled um, after it was initially settled by another huge wave of people coming from Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey, and then another huge wave of people after that coming from uh, north of the Caspian Sea in the, in the grasslands, migrating into Europe in masses. Well, that kind of fits the picture also, people spreading out, dispersing, and migrating around before they finally settled down. So we just came out with a new video called Ancient DNA, Illuminating the Tapestry of Biblical Human History. It features me... We filmed it professionally, had it professionally color graded and edited, and the sound is excellent. I mean, just a top notch. It's probably the most sophisticated video product that we've done here at CMI, Creation Ministries International. It's available on creation.com. We worked really hard on it, and I had to leave a lot out. So in the video, all I did was I explained all I did. It's over an hour long, but I explained where the idea of sequencing ancient DNA came from, how successful they've been, how they actually sequence the DNA out of old bones, how they control for contamination, how they control for the short, broken up pieces that they have to sequence, the fact that they look for those and not the longer ones, because the longer ones are almost always modern contamination, and how they're able to put together these giant, you know, I'll call it a tapestry, a tapestry of history and tracing people migrating and things like that through ancient DNA. I go through a couple of um, classic examples. I talk about Native Americans, uh, Chinese people, uh, Sub-Saharan Africans and Europeans. I could have talked about a lot of other people groups also, but those are the ones I chose. I just explained what the data are telling us as far as where those people came from. And just a little spoiler. When you're talking about Europe, 
When you talk about Europeans, um, I have a hard time defining what a European is. The ancient most Europeans are Neanderthals. And the Neanderthals, well, they got intermarried with another group of people that came in later. We call them ancient hunter-gatherers. They're, quote, modern-looking uh, people. But they're people who didn't have farms, and they, they lived off the land. They migrated, migrated around a lot. They had a very diverse uh, diet. I mean, they were really amazing people to survive without farming in a pretty harsh environment. But those people tended to have the genes for dark skin. Interesting. And then another large group of people moved in from Anatolia. They brought farming. And we can see their spread. One group came up through the Danube, up through Hungary, into Poland and Germany. Another group came on the southern coast of, of uh, Europe along the Mediterranean and came up through Spain and up through France. When they met in Germany, they're actually genetically distinct. We can tell the east versus the west. And they were living right next to the hunter-gatherers. The newcomers tended to have lighter skin. The hunter-gatherers had dark skin, and those two populations merged. So the first population merged with the Neanderthals. The second population merged with the hunter-gatherers. And then much later on, a huge wave of people came in from the steppes. So 70% of the European genome actually comes from Asia. About 30% comes from the, the farmers, the hunter-gatherers, and then a little bit from the Neanderthals. Really cool. We would not have known that were not for ancient DNA. We would never have been able to put that together. And yet now we can. And it's exciting and informative and really interesting. If you want to learn more about Africa, Native Americans, and uh, Southeast Asians, you can pick up the DVD or just do the digital download from creation.com. By the way, um, we put on a QR code on that DVD because most people don't have DVD players anymore. But if you do have the DVD, you look at the QR code, you take a snapshot of it, it will automatically add that product to your store in creation.com. If you don't have a store, it's really easy to make one. Just email address and a name and you're done. And then you can watch it on your computer, on your phone, on whatever gizmo you have. If you still have the old technology of DVDs, then you can order the DVD also and you got it. And then you can watch it. Like I had a friend of mine just wrote, said, Rob, that was awesome, incredible. I loved it. I'm ordering 10 more. So he ordered one for himself and reordered 10 more so he can give it to his friends. And the cool thing is um, we had this, this promo. Now, it's already finished, so you can't get the promo. But for people that pre-ordered, we offered my DVD, a Mitochondrial Eve and the Three Daughters of Noah, and my DVD, The High Tech Cell. And we pretty much know how many DVDs we would expect to sell. I mean, you know, we're a marketing organization, so we, we make those guesses. Uh, but demand for this, this video was so high we ran out of the free gifts. We had hundreds of them in the warehouse. We ran out. So we had to call up the manufacturer and say, oh, we need more of this DVD and that DVD. It's very strange to order hundreds, if not thousands of DVDs in today's world, but we did. And while we did that, we put the QR code on those also. So anyone who now orders those, my, my three Genetics DVDs, they all have the QR code that links to the web store. And if you click on that, you can watch the video. You can just stream it. And that's a really neat little advantage, little uh, thing we've just added to our store for the first time ever. And I'm excited to announce that. Okay. I want to give you a couple of examples that I did not talk about in the presentation. Things I, I just didn't have time to talk about. Just a little teaser that there's actually more to learn about. One is uh, Otzi. Otzi, the, the Tyrolean Iceman. The man found frozen as a glacier melted back right on the border of Switzerland and Italy. At first they thought it was a modern murder scene, but then they realized that back in the 90s when they found him, that this was an ancient individual. Well, they've now pulled the DNA out of him. We found that his Y chromosome is group G, subgroup T2, subgroup A, G2A. And there's still people with G2A that are alive today. Most of them live on Sardinia, which is the, one of the islands belongs to Italy 
in the northern Mediterranean, Sardinia is really interesting. Because in the highlands of Sardinia, they had the highest concentration of DNA that's not related to people from the steppes. The, some of the original DNA of Europe. They're also um, one of the longest lived populations in the world. Very, very curious. I wonder why that is. But Otzi's Y chromosome belongs to that population. His mitochondria is group K, subgroup 1, subgroup F. Uh, it doesn't look like, at least my last reading, I could, there could be an update, but my last reading of it, uh, there aren't any people that belong to that group live today. But there are people that belong to his Y chromosome group. But what that means is those branches, a subgroup of a subgroup of a subgroup, a branch of a branch of a branch, already existed in very early European history. That challenges some creationists who want to take the family tree and just say, okay, there's Noah, here's people alive today, this is 4,500 years, and now we can date the branches on the tree because if it's two-thirds of the way up, that's two-thirds of 4,500 years. But yeah, I, don't, I don't go there. I, I don't do that. I don't hold to a strict molecular clock at all. I've published on clock variations and mitochondria and Y chromosomes several times. But also, I published a paper in Journal of Creation, and I made a video on this channel called A Patriarchal Drive. That is, the genetic effect of really old people having children in a, in a population. So if people live as long as the Bible says they lived, and if they're having children later in life, and there's nothing to prevent a man from having a child no, until he's really, really old, um, that would have a dramatic effect on the branch lengths are the earliest branches in the tree. The length of the branch isn't necessarily time. It's quite likely, instead, how old the father was. And so I don't hold to a molecular clock. Therefore, I can take these branches that may be halfway up the tree and say, no, that's really early. It's not halfway to today. It's really early in post-flood history. Ooh. That means that Otzi's... My favorite sound in the world, the steam whistle that goes off once an hour here at Georgia Tech announcing changes of classes or don't be late for class. All right, another thing that I didn't get to talk about in my video was a 2019 paper by Feldman et al. They studied um, the DNA of ancient Philistines. They found a, a cemetery in Ashkelon, one of the five cities of the Philistine pentapolis that the Bible talks about. The paper's ancient DNA sheds light on the genetic origin of early Iron Age Philistines. Oh. What they showed was that there was a massive pulse of DNA from the Aegean Sea, as in Crete or the islands north of Crete and the Aegean Sea, into Israel. Canaan, if you want to call it, the coast of modern-day Israel, had a huge infusion of Cretan or Aegean DNA. That's funny because the Bible says the Philistines came from Crete, Cap Thor. But the Bible also says the Philistines were there earlier in Abraham's day. So how could they be there 500 years before they arrived genetically? Well, I go through that in an article called Who Were the Philistines that I just published a month ago on creation.com. I would highly encourage you to read that. There is no biblical contradiction there between the genetics or the archaeology. But what they did show was that there was a huge pulse of DNA coming from the Aegean into Israel. And then over time, it got diluted and disappeared. Ooh, very, very cool. But we see that in ancient DNA. Another paper uh, talking about the Israel region was by Haber et al. in 2017. 
this paper caused a lot of controversy. A lot of news reports said the Bible's wrong. Foolishly, because it did not say the Bible's wrong. In fact, it supports the Bible. The paper is called Continuity and Admixture. In the last five millennia, a Levantine history from ancient Canaanite and present-day Lebanese genome sequences. Well, what they showed was that these people buried in Lebanon, their DNA is still around in the Lebanese population today. Therefore, the Israelites, people claimed, never invaded Canaan because the Canaanite DNA is still there. Well, wait a second. First of all, the Bible clearly says the Israelites never completely exterminated the, the Canaanites. Second, the Bible very clearly says that they intermarried with them a lot. Third, they didn't invade Lebanon. That's further north than Israel. In fact, later on, Solomon is, and David are trading with the, the king of Tyre, which is in Lebanon. The Lebanese are Canaanites. Great. The Lebanese are there today, this, and their ancestors are buried in the ground. Great. That actually supports a biblical story. Quite clearly, the continuity is there because the people have always been there. We can see that in their DNA. If you want more information about the history of the Jewish people, I would have you look at my uh, video in September of 21, The Jews Inbreeding and False Notions of Race, or my video in October of 21, Early Israel was a hotbed of interracial dating, interracial dating, or my video in November of 21, The Genetics of Modern Jews, or my articles on creation.com, The Israelites, Forging of a Nation, or The Genetic History of the Israelite Nation, or sense of mis mixing of Israelites and non-Israelites in biblical history. It's quite clear that the Bible does not say that the Israelites displaced all the people living in Canaan when they invaded. Quite, in fact, quite the opposite is true. The data are supporting a biblical picture. But there's one more thing in this Haber paper. It was hidden away in a supplementary information. You think, hey, if they're sequencing Y chromosomes and mitochondria and things like that, would they put them in a family tree, in a phylogenetic tree? Why doesn't the paper have any? They had a whole bunch of ancient Y chromosomes. Well, they finally did put one in the supplemental data. And it's only group J, which is interesting because a lot of Jewish men, especially ones belonging to the uh, family, the tribes of Cohen and Khan, the people who claim they're Levites, are, they belong to group J. But group J, and there's two ancient individuals in that, and a lot of modern individuals, and the ancient individuals, you can see them clearly, they're on very long branches. And that's not supposed to be true. The opposite is supposed to be true. If you lived in the ancient past, you haven't had as many time for mutations to accumulate. Your branch should be shorter, not longer. What that tells us is that back in 2017, the data were full of errors. That is true. But they were able to put them on a specific place in the tree because if you have millions of letters and only hundreds or maybe thousands of mutations or mistakes, well, the few letters that define which branch you're on are not likely to be accidentally sequenced. They're not going to have a mistake there. So more than likely, you can place the person accurately on the tree, even though you don't actually know the specific Y chromosome sequence because there are a lot of errors. In my video, I compare ancient DNA to a book that's been buried in the ground. And if you leave that book long enough, it's going to rot. Yep. It's going to get moldy. Paid to, the cover's going to get torn off. Worms are going to eat it. It's going to be full of holes. And depending on the burial conditions, depending upon how long you leave in the ground... That'll tell you its state of preservation. But even a highly decrepit book is likely, you pull up even a fragment, you're going to know, hey, is that the Bible? Which translation? Or is that the Quran? Or is that a, a book of the sonnets of William Shakespeare? 
you can pretty much know just from a snippet what it belongs to. Just like the oldest biblical fragment in the world called the Rylands Fragment. It's just a piece of the Gospel of John, front and back, a few words and letters. And yet, not only do they know it's the Bible, they know where it belongs in the Gospel of John. That's what ancient DNA is like. Just a fragment, and you can get a picture where it belongs to. So as this guy fires up his leaf blower, I'm going to have to close. And I'm just going to close with the trailer for the video. Thank you so much for blessing me with your your watches and your listens and your likes and your shares. Please keep keep on getting the word out about biblical genetics. And for the those of you who are supporting me financially, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your contributions on buymeacoffee.com and patreon.com. If you'd like to help also, there'll be some links in the show notes. Enjoy the trailer. Genetics has developed an entire toolbox of things that we can use to test theories of history. And if the Bible is a history book and genetics can test theories of history, we should be able to very carefully walk through some of these issues and actually test the Bible to see if it matches what we're discovering in science. There's a revolution right now happening in genetics. It's also impacting the field of archaeology. This revolution is called ancient DNA or ADNA for short. It's a problematic field because it's changing a lot of things we thought were true, all of a sudden we're realizing they're not as true as we thought. But it's also a problem for Christianity and for people who believe the Bible because the Bible claims to be a history book and ancient DNA is pulling up skeletons out of the historical closet that's causing us to ask a lot of questions. We're gonna answer those questions and more in this analysis of ancient DNA. This is an exciting field and we're going to learn a lot of very fascinating things over the next 45 minutes. I want to spend some time just going through a couple of case studies, just people groups across the world, and let's look and see what we've learned about them. Uh, two geneticists, Slatkin and Racimo, they said this, 2016. We now know. I love that phrase. You know, when a scientist says we now know, you know what that means? It means we were wrong yesterday. But they don't like saying it that way. They say, we now know. The evolutionary time frame is directly contradicted by the presence of ancient DNA, but I also want to tell you to expect a few curveballs. I know that a lot of Christians are skeptical about this field. I know that. In fact, a lot of creationists and creationist geneticists like me have shied away from ancient DNA studies. One reason is that you can't know the mutation rate because there's too many errors in the data, but you can tell, oh, this was a human being. Oh, this human being is more closely related to these human beings. And that tells us that ancient DNA, even if it does have problems, there are some aspects of it that are very trustable. But if I'm shocked there's DNA there, then the evolutionists must be completely incredulous. Early human history is chaotic. How does that impact our understanding of the Tower of Babel and the Table of Nations? Very interesting questions. This is new information, and we've already learned a lot of things. We said, what? That can't be true. We cannot totally put our faith in science because when science changes it can rip the rug right out from underneath us ancient dna is a field we can grasp we can bring in and we can incorporate it straight into biblical history you can pre-order ancient dna on creation.com store